Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. It's amazing. President's getting all kinds of unsolicited advice from all kinds of people, including people who hate his guts and have never supported him, trying to tell him the smart things to do, that he needs to step up. I want to break this down a little bit because you're being bombarded with this crap from never-Trumpers, former never-Trumpers, the left, the media, so much of the same thing. From politicians and pundits and Democrat Party journalists <laughs> who don't know anything. On the one hand, they tell us to listen to the experts. On the other hand, none of these people are experts and they don't shut the hell up. You notice that, Mr. Producer? Listen to the experts. Okay. Then we have a New York Times piece that attacks the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. Fine. I thought they're the experts. Aren't we supposed to listen to the experts or are we supposed to listen to the New York Times? And then people cite the New York Times for reasons to only listen to some of the experts, not all the experts, and there weren't enough test kits, you know. So that, of course, is Trump's fault. How's that Trump's fault? He was listening to the experts. Well, he should stop listening to the experts. They're incoherent. They think they're so smart. They have no knowledge. They're uninformed, these people who are commenting. And they're very superficial, like the piece at the National Review, which I'll get to later. President Trump needs to step up on the coronavirus. Trump needs to do more, they tell us. And yet they're not the only ones. He shouldn't blow it off. He should rely on the scientists, but he ought to fire some of the scientists. Oh, okay. He should say this. He should say that. He shouldn't wear his hat. Suddenly, everyone's an expert. Rely on the experts, they say, but do as they say, not as the experts say. Turns out a lot of the people accusing the president of not stepping up and not doing enough have more of affinity for dictatorships than they would have you believe. Isn't this remarkable? Trump has been called a dictator for what, three years, Mr. Producer? Oh, yeah. He's been called a dictator. Does he seem like a dictator today? Meanwhile, the people who accuse him, many of them, of being a dictator, apparently have some affinity for dictators. What do they want him to do? They're not really specific, as I'll point out in the National Review editorial. They're just symptomatic. I'll use them as a foil. What should he do? Shut down the cruise line industry? Should he shut down air travel? Should he end all international travel? What should he do? Should he 
pull an FDR and use emergency powers for the federal government to control one industry after another, to control the distribution and rationing of medical products, even hand sanitizers? Is that what he should do? Would that show leadership? Franklin Roosevelt used a bad recession to cause a depression and utterly change our constitutional order. Is that what Trump should do? Then do we have a great leader? Will that satisfy everybody? No, Mark. Mark, you're going too far. He just needs to speak differently or not wear that hat or listen to different scientists. Listen to different experts. Oh, okay. Does it occur to these people, never Trumpers, pseudo-conservatives, 2020 types, and even the left, does it occur to them that the federal government could actually make things worse? That the federal government could make things worse as it made the recession into a depression during FDR's term? Have they abandoned all rationality, these people? That too much centralized decision-making by a relative handful of experts and scientists and medical folks might be problematic? That they don't have all the knowledge that we need? That they don't have all the information that they need to be issuing dictate after dictate? And that the President of the United States, in fact, is doing the only thing a responsible president should do. That is, he is leading. Where he can make decisions, knowledgeable decisions, he's making knowledgeable decisions. He's listening to the experts. Whether they're experts in science, whether they're experts in medicine, insurance experts, hospital experts. He's listening to people in these various industries that are affected because he has to make sure that the health of the people, as best as he can, is sustained as well as the health of the economy. Because one needs the other, as it turns out. But I sit here and watch and listen and read all the hypocrisy and the contradictions. All of a sudden, absolute, centralized, all-powerful decision-making is what we need. No, it's not. And if the president doesn't conduct himself that way, then he's not stepping up? No, 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 you don't understand. He shouldn't wear a MAGA hat. A MAGA hat? The hell does that have to do with anything? Well, he shouldn't put out false statistics. He's stating things that are provided to him. He's not putting out false statistics. People may have different feelings about the statistics. Maybe they think he's downplaying the problem. What he's trying to do, obviously, is keep people under control. So there's not panic. Panic buying, panic decisions. That's exactly what a president's supposed to do. Exactly what a president's supposed to do. The president will be addressing the nation at 9 p.m. Eastern time. We'll all be watching and he'll be attacked. Attacked by the same people who've been attacking him all along. Now, I look at this president and I think to myself, can you imagine Joe Biden in this position? Guy doesn't know his wife from his sister. He doesn't know Tuesday from Thursday. He doesn't know jobs as a four-letter word, not a three-letter word. I could go on and on and on. Despite the best efforts of MSNBC and CNN and low IQ Joe Scarborough, despite their best efforts to try and massage the issue of Joe Biden's mental decline by trying to say Trump has the same problem. The fact is, Joe Biden has a problem, and Trump does not. 
That's a fact. This coronavirus is what it is. It may get much worse. It may get a little worse. Who knows? Nobody knows. The experts don't know. The experts contradict themselves. You've got some that say 70% of the American population will be affected, but the vast majority will be okay. You have others that have other predictions, other information. They don't know. And you can't really look at China for too much information because China is a communist dictatorship. Information is controlled and sparse and spun. So I don't know what these people expect and they want. Now let's look at this editorial at the National View. Let's see if it makes any sense to you. President Trump needs to step up on the coronavirus, the editors. Every American should want President Trump and his administration to handle the coronavirus epidemic effectively and successfully. Those who seem eager to see the president fail and to call every administration misstep a fiasco risk letting their partisanship blind them to demands not only of civic responsibility but of basic decency. So they lay this foundation for what's coming. The virus looks likely to be the most serious acute public health crisis Americans have had to face at home in decades. It is still spreading at exponential rates. Fatality rates are much higher than the flu and other familiar bugs, particularly for older people. There is no vaccine for the time being. The character of its spread and symptoms threatens to gradually overwhelm the capacity of health systems in affected areas, leaving them short of hospital beds and respirators, to treat the most seriously affected patients and so dramatically increasing the risk to them. Okay, let's stop there. So what would a leader do? Nationalize the healthcare system? Nationalize the hospitals? Centrally decide who gets a bed and who doesn't get a bed? What should he do? The most effective ways to mitigate this danger involve forms of social distancing that require everyone, not just those at greatest risk, to engage in measures like Canceling events, limiting travel, and avoiding public places, measures that cannot help but seem extreme in our free society, that these expedients are necessary and appropriate, is increasingly clear and yet difficult to explain to the public. So hunker down. Limit interactions. Limit public appearances. Okay, what does that mean? I don't even know what that means. Should we shut all the schools, Mr. Producer? They don't tell us what they mean. Should we we ground all the uh, airplanes? Should we shut down the cruise lines? Should we uh, shut down Amtrak? Should we limit automobile driving? People taking trips? What should we do? What exactly should we do? Because... You see, a president has to make these decisions. If he thinks he has the power to make these decisions, he can't just say, hey, you know, everybody, avoid this and avoid that. Or he can say it. That's not really leadership. That's not really doing anything. All this means that the administration faces an enormous challenge, that its successes are likely to be largely invisible, and that its failures cannot help but be magnified. Therefore, we should go out of our way to acknowledge some of the capable people throughout the chain of command doing their best in very difficult circumstances. 
Maybe they listened to me last night. They have failed in some respects and have succeeded in others. And they will do more of both. But there is reason to think they will learn from their errors and step up to the challenge. Okay, so what's the point of the editorial? Let's move on. At the same time, however, it is important that the president's defenders not be blinded by partisanship of their own in excusing failures of leadership and diminishing the danger of the epidemic itself. Excusing failures of leadership, like what? I'll get into that. And diminishing the danger of the epidemic itself. I have no idea how dangerous this epidemic is. Do you, Mr. Producer? I have no idea. Is it the bubonic plague? No, it's not the bubonic plague. So maybe the National Review can tell us. Give us some standard, some measure of the seriousness of the epidemic. Well, you know, Mark, such and so pronouncements have been made. That's not what they're talking about. The disastrous missteps involved in the effort to make testing kits all nationwide are not the president's own. No, they're not the president's at all. The CDC has a responsibility, right? We're supposed to rely on the scientists and the experts. They write they are the fault of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And they represent a serious scientific, technical, and bureaucratic failure for which the appropriate officials should be held responsible. So the president should now go on a purge. That'll be great for morale at the CDC. He should find out who's responsible. While they're trying to contain this and then trying to deal with it. He's supposed to make HR decisions now. Who is responsible? And maybe the people responsible didn't do anything wrong, ladies and gentlemen. As they were unaware of this virus in the first place. But those problems, they write, are clearly being corrected now. There's every reason to think testing kits will soon be available to all who need them. Why is that? Why will they soon be available to all who need them? How about presidential leadership? How about vice presidential leadership? Isn't that why? Didn't the president also meet with the insurance companies? Aren't they also prepared to pay for testing at no cost to the people who are tested? Didn't they all agree to treatments because of what the president has done if somebody has this coronavirus? That seems like presidential leadership. What do they want him to do? They write, the failures of leadership at the top, however, show no sign of being corrected, meaning the president. In a serious public health crisis, the public has the right to expect the government's chief executive to lead in a number of crucial ways, and they list them. By prioritizing the problem properly, what are they talking about? It certainly looks like he's done exactly that. By deferring to subject matter experts when appropriate while making key decisions in informed and sensible ways, he's put together a group headed by the vice president that's doing exactly that. They're getting expert input from the federal, state, local, county experts, as well as the private sector. That's the whole point. On the other hand, they want him to dig in right now into the CDC and start firing people. By providing honest and careful information to the country. There's not great information to give to the country. By calming fears and setting expectations. 
which is exactly what he's done. And by addressing mistakes and setbacks, maybe National Review should do that itself. More when I return. Mark Levin. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning. But what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue. That having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. The hypocrisy and incoherence of some conservatives is really quite remarkable as you analyze this. They're really looking for Franklin Delano Roosevelt. They really are, but they hate Trump. That's really the bottom line. But they're looking, in my view, for Franklin Delano Roosevelt. There was a leader. There is a man who took charge. There is a man who screwed up the economy, screwed up the Constitution forever. And I can assure you, a Bernie Sanders, a Joe Biden with his staff and type people he'd have around him would use this as an opportunity to do even more damage. We don't want a president to do too much. We want him to do just enough. We want him to do the right things. And any president would have to be sort of walking through this somewhat cautiously before they take bold action. Because nobody's ever dealt with this before. Now, I know the experts at National Review and Brett Stevens, the experts at the New York Times, the experts at MSNBC and CNN, experts in all things climate change, experts on Russia, experts on the Ukraine, experts on the law. I know all these experts wish to be listened to. But then on the other hand, they tell the president, listen to the experts. So why would the president listen to National Review or all these other people when he's supposed to be listening to the real experts? All right, more when I return. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning. But what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue. That having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. 
Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. The Mark Levin Show, live and national at 877-381-3811. You know, it's not that the president is doing nothing. He's doing a lot. He's doing a great deal, and he's going to announce tonight even more. It's that he's not doing everything. And it's good that he's not doing everything. Because if he did everything, however you define that, whatever that means, wherever the boundaries are, maybe there are no boundaries, you wouldn't recognize your country. Centralized autocracy is the outcome if the president does everything, whatever that means. It's whatever they can think up on TV and MSNBC and CNN or at National Review and other places. Trump didn't do this and he didn't do that, so he should do what? China's a perfect example of a centralized autocracy and worse. And the virus started there and they blew it. So immediately, when we have this epidemic, or whatever we wish to call it, however we wish to define it, you find so-called conservatives, never Trumpers, others, immediately genuflecting to the FDR model. All of a sudden, centralized decision-making by a handful of experts is what's needed. The president should listen to those experts. Except when he shouldn't. He has to fire some of them. He should listen to them, but really not listen to them. He should regurgitate what they tell him. On the other hand, he shouldn't regurgitate what they tell him. So the people who write these editorials, the people who write these op-eds, the people who speak as they speak on television, are utterly and completely incoherent. Plus, they reject what they've said they stood for for decades, many of them. Of course, there's a role for the federal government, particularly in a situation like this. A significant role. But what these people seem to be saying is, it needs to be a more ubiquitous role. They don't define it. And many of these are the same people when the president sought to secure the budget, uh, the uh, border by moving around budget priorities under an emergency act that had been used by five prior presidents, they said he was being dictatorial. This president is accused wrongly and obsessively of abusing power, of being dictatorial. Now he's being preached to. He's got to do more. Whatever it is, we're not sure what it is. Stop wearing the hat. Stop tweeting. Stop speaking. Speak more. Speak like we want you to speak. Say things we like you to say. This isn't a recipe for anything. It's utterly unserious. I don't doubt if Franklin Roosevelt were president of the United States today, you would see industries very quickly be transformed into quasi-government public utilities. One after another. So the centralized bureaucracy could redistribute whatever medical products and needs are necessary. You'd see offices pop up through all these private companies, 
would have to report to the federal government about how they're conducting business. It would ruin our economy. It would have almost no effect on the virus, but that's what would happen. Even worse, even worse, the same president, Franklin Roosevelt, who rounded up Japanese Americans and Americans of Japanese descent with no evidence. And by the way, Germans and Italians too, but mostly Japanese. No evidence of saboteurs among them. Rounded them up, moved them into internment camps. Maybe Franklin Roosevelt would round up Asian Americans, particularly Chinese Americans. Move them into internment camps as possible health threats. Is that what we want? No, of course not, Mark. Well, then I think the people who are attacking this president, whether it's National Review, whether it's Brett Stevens, whether it's MSNBC or CNN or whomever, have an obligation to be a little bit more detailed and specific about what it is they want this president to do, other than the superficial. What exactly it is. Provide us with the details particularly those who've been preaching for decades. Hayek, Friedman, that centralized decision-making actually limits your ability to make rational decisions because you don't have all the knowledge, you don't have all the information, but then you have the power of the law to impose them nonetheless. And what do you get? Unpredictable consequences. Now, of course, there needs to be some of that. We have a federal government. We have experts in the federal government. I got it. I understand it. But there needs to be prudence on the part of a president. And what I've been seeing and hearing from this president, from the vice president, from the group they've pulled together, is prudence, judgment, deliberations being made, not procrastination, not the failure to step up, People must be watching and listening to things different from what I'm watching and listening to. It's the same people who have attacked this president from day one, even before he was president. Mocking, laughing, making outrageous allegations, who are doing it again today at different degrees. Different degrees. We have one gentleman who writes a piece that the president's had a horrible, lousy, horrific week. It's all about Trump. Trump? They try to pin this virus on his chest? As if it gets much worse, it's on Trump? Do they even understand what a virus is? And how it works? The experts, unfortunately, know damn little about it. But Trump, you see, he's the one that lacks leadership. Rely on the experts, but don't rely on the experts. Rely on the opinion writers. Rely on the cable shows. They'll tell you what to do. The New York Times. I hope I'm making sense to you. Because people are now looking for scapegoats. Now, immediately, Schumer, Pelosi, the Democrats, the media, they always use Trump as a scapegoat. As a whipping boy. But now you're seeing it in some quasi-conservative circles. Definitely in the never-Trumper circles. Looking for a scapegoat. 
Donald Trump is president of the United States. Before him, Barack Obama was president of the United States. Before him, George W. Bush was president of the United States. Before him, Bill Clinton, and on and on and on. There's only so many things a president can do. I hate to tell this to National Review. I hate to tell this to the pseudo-conservatives. I hate to tell this to the never-Trumpers. I hate to tell this to the cable shows and to the left. There's only so much a president can do. There's only so much a president should do. There's only so much a government can do. And beating the drums, beating the drums for more centralized government activity does not make the distinction between rational, sensible government activity and just government activity. You understand the distinction, Mr. Producer? Now, we have person after person trashing the President of the United States. Why? It's just easy to do it. These people don't have to come up with solutions. It's easy to do it. And so that's their answer. Ask Joe Biden. Joe Biden will look at you like a deer in the headlights. He doesn't have anything to say. Schumer has nothing substantive to say, or he would have said it on the Senate floor. He hasn't done it. Same with Pelosi. Then you have people like Brett Stevens on MSNBC. And why is he on MSNBC? And why does he write for the New York Times? Because he's a sleazeball. Because he's a vessel through which the New York Times and MSNBC can speak. And he's on with Katie Turr, who's no different. A complete buffoon. And I want you to listen to this. Because this is what's going on while you're at work, or you're at school, or you're not watching TV or listening to it. Cut 12, go. This is exactly, exactly my point. I mean, when coronavirus broke out in China, people said, this is China's Chernobyl. Actually, it's Donald Trump's Chernobyl, because there are some things you can't lie and spin your way through. Above all, something like a virus which is out of control, just as the Soviet government couldn't lie its way through uh, uh, atomic particles going through the air in Ukraine. Now, let, 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 just to show you how irrational this clown is, atomic particles going through the air in Ukraine were a result of the Soviet's activity, of the Soviet government's activity. The coronavirus has nothing to do with the United States government's activity. Chernobyl was a man-made event, a disaster. This virus is not. It's Mother Nature, who we're supposed to embrace and love. So this is pretty disgusting. It's irrational. It's Donald Trump's Chernobyl. This is this is the kind of of uh, of mind of a mindless burping that goes on with Katie Turr on MSNBC, <laughs> CNN, and the reason Brett Stevens is brought in is because he's an a-hole. Because that's what they want. Go ahead. 
35 years How ago. do you make that argument, though, to people who refuse to believe that it is a problem? It's not that people refuse to believe it's a problem. I've never said it's not a problem. It's people who reject the hysteria that is being created by the unfree press, by the Democratic Socialist Party, and by the never-Trumpers, who want you to freak out, who want this to be a five-alarm fire. They have no better idea than we do about what's going to happen here, other than it's going to spread. Any bit of information that tamps down the hysteria is attacked as people who refuse to believe climate change, people who refuse to believe, and on and on and on. The irony here is many of us, not on MSNBC, not in the New York Times, not in the Democrat Party, have been condemning the Chinese regime for decades. This virus broke out in China. The Chinese communist regime, centralized, bureaucratic, their scientists, their labs, not only couldn't control it, they apparently took steps which helped to bring it out of control. Instead, they attacked Donald Trump. This is his Chernobyl. Go ahead. Uh, I said this yesterday, a family member of mine was having dinner with some adamant Trump supporters just the other night, and they were telling her uh, that the coronavirus was all fake news. Yeah, that's going to be fake news until it happens to someone in their neighborhood. That's, nobody, that's... nobody says the coronavirus is fake news, and I don't know who the hell or what the hell she's talking about. But she's fake news, and Brett Stevens is fake news. Notice no pushback. This is Donald Trump's Chernobyl. No, no, no. We're going to immediately swing to attacking Trump supporters. That's what we'll do. Katie Turr has not had a serious, substantive program on this virus, on how it started, its causes, and all the rest of it, since it broke out. I'll be right back. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning. But what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue. That having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. I am observing, I am analyzing, and I am commenting. I'm not a Pollyanna, I'm not defending, I'm explaining. 
Put yourself in the shoes of some of these people who have this responsibility. All the experts out there who know absolutely nothing and know nothing about everything. Constantly writing editorials and opinion pieces telling everybody what to do and what to think. It's, it's amazing to me. While at the same time telling us to listen to the scientists and the experts who they say blew it over there at the CDC. So fix it, fire them, and move on. Nothing is that simple. And certainly nothing is that simple in the bureaucracy. Let's just be honest. Nothing this president does will be considered stepping up. Because the virus is going to spread. Not because of the president, but in spite of him. Not because of the federal government, but in spite of it. The president speaks in two hours, and I speak in about five or six minutes. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I want you to listen to your media. Jim Acosta at CNN. And tell me if this man really has the best interests of the American people at heart, if he's really interested in forming you, or if he's interested in getting in fights and drawing attention to himself and basically smearing the president, which is a grave disservice to this nation, particularly at a time like this. Here's CNN Jim Acosta today. Is this that you're not taking this seriously enough and that some of your statements don't match what your health experts are saying. That's CNN. Fake news. Go ahead. Thank you very much. The president is holding meeting after meeting. We don't even know all the things he's doing because everything isn't done in front of the media. He looks to be spending almost all day on these issues. His team is. His vice president is as well. And to get a question like that from a guy who, when he's done, he's probably going to go over to some uh, Washington, D.C. haunt where the reporters hang out and talk and laugh it up. Anybody who's objective sees the president has taken this very seriously. Very seriously. So it's appalling when a question like that is asked. Now, let me make another observation to you. What's interesting to me, and really predictable if you think about it, outside of the media, people like Acosta and these editorial writers and opinion writers and everything, outside of this, and outside of the typical demagogues and politics, the Schumers, the Pelosi's, and so forth, putting them aside, which is difficult, but putting them aside, much of this nation has come together in spite of the media And in spite of these politicians and their exploitations, much of the nation has come together. And decisions are being made by local communities, 
by school systems, by mayors, by city councils. Decisions are being made in the private sector by athletic businesses, by other industries, about telecommuting and so forth. Decisions are being made. Responsible decisions are being made. Maybe there's some overreaction even. But the people who are trying to divide us and exploit this, the interesting thing is the vast majority of them are in Washington, D.C. The vast majority, not all. And they're in the media and they're in politics. So the media is not serving us. It's not serving the people. It's not informing us. You heard this Katie Turr. She's laughing. She's mocking. This Brett Stevens, reprobate. You hear these politicians attacking the president. The very same politicians, many of them who shut down the United States Congress for an extended period of time and wanted to shut down the United States Congress for even a longer period of time. Every Democrat in the Senate and Mitt Romney. And Mitt Romney. We'd still be hearing from witnesses at the bogus Senate impeachment trial. So the politicians in Washington, many of them, certainly the Democrat Party, the never-Trumpers, in and out of government, in and out of the media, and the unfree press, the Democrat Party press, are not serving the interests of the country, are not even interested in serving the interests of the country. They're trying to settle scores still. They're trying to affect the outcome of the election. This is Trump's Chernobyl. Chernobyl. This is another Katrina. With these hysterical comments. And they make them as they can barely contain their chuckles. You have the governor of California, who's a leftist, praising President Trump's response to him, to the needs of California, to the cruise ship that took place, praising it. And Gavin Newsom is in no mind most of the time to praise Donald Trump. But he said in every instance when he spoke to the president, the president was responsive in a way that he appreciated. You'll hear this from any truthful governor. The reason he lashed out against the governor of Washington is because he's a sleazeball. Because he takes the president's conversation and then twists it and lies about it. But the president's in touch with governors. He's in touch with mayors. He's in touch with cruise lines, airlines, insurance companies. And Jim Acosta asked the question, if the president's taking this seriously, I have to ask, are the media taking this seriously? Are the Democrats in Congress taking this seriously? And they're brought on television not to contribute or add something to the knowledge of the American people, but to attack the president. They're literally brought on TV to attack the chief executive. And they're all saying the same thing. 
This is a real dire time in this country. We deserve a better media and we deserve better politicians. We are better as a people than the modern Democrat Party media. We are better as a people than so many of the politicians in Washington, D.C. We are better as a people than these poisonous never-Trumpers who are narcissistic and egomaniacal who are everything that they accuse the president of as they still try to get even because they were so wrong. So the nation is pulling together. The nation wants to pull together. Local officials are making decisions. Corporate executives, small businessmen are making decisions. School boards and superintendents are making decisions. What decisions exactly has Chuck Schumer made? What responsibilities does he have? Or Nancy Pelosi, or the whole gaggle? Now, I want you to play Jim Acosta again, Mr. Producer, if you'll cue that up. And I want you to listen to this again, ladies and gentlemen, and ask yourselves, is this guy rooting for the country or rooting against the country? Is this guy interested in informing you or interested in his own egomaniacal, narcissistic, drama queen presentation? Go ahead. Mrs. President, what do you say to Americans who are concerned that you're not taking this seriously enough and that some of your statements don't match what your health experts are saying. That's CNN, fake news. Go He's ahead. right. Thank you very much. CNN is a disgrace. What kind of a question is that? Reporters are there. Reporters are there. Not for their own self-serving purposes. The reason they have access to the president, the reason they're protected under our Constitution, is to inform you, the people. Not for a, a schmo like this to cherry-pick the president's haters and attackers and to regurgitate in an ambiguous way their attacks as if it's a serious reporter's question. And it's picked up immediately by this website, Mediaite. This website that was founded by Dan Abrams, who poses as a newsman, a legal analyst over at ABC News. He runs a left-wing, Trump-hating website. Why do they feel it necessary to link to what Jim Acosta said? As a matter of fact, we wouldn't have known what Jim Acosta said but for the fact that Mediaite linked to it. And I'm giving it attention, not so Mediaite gets hits because that's what they want, but that so you, the people, know that among other things, they may be saying the president's not giving us information. The news media are not giving us information. The news media are not collecting factual information to present to us in many respects. He's the White House reporter, one of two, for CNN, and that's the question he has. He asks a a nasty question intended to get a rise out of the president instead of a question that's intended to provide information to we the people. And this is what's supported by AT&T. AT&T owns CNN. And the head of CNN, Jeff Motherzucker, just got a raise, just got a, an inc- a promotion, because apparently AT&T 
think CNN's doing a hell of a job. Notice AT&T never does any long stories on AT, uh, CNN, never does any long stories on AT&T. These big companies buy peace by owning these news outlets. Just like NBC and MSNBC will never do news stories on how Comcast rips you off. Or the Washington Compost will never do a story about how Amazon rips you off. Because they're owned by the owner of Amazon. Or CNN will never do a story about how AT&T ripped you off. Because they buy peace by owning the newsrooms. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. You know, my friend Jen Kuznicki writes me such a uh, profound, short email. And you may be familiar with her. She writes her columns now, was writing for a while, maybe still at CR, but an excellent writer and observer. She said, been reading about Chen Kishi and Fang Bin. These are the two citizen journalists who went to Wuhan to report to the world what was taking place there and disappeared. The Chinese government removed them and they're feared dead now. She says, been reading about these guys and watching their YouTubes per your on-air suggestion. The people who are trying to stop us from calling it the Wuhan virus or Chinese virus are disrespecting these men who went missing in a very frightening way and could be dead just for reporting what they saw. Their use of the silencing word racist is actually helping China's murderous grip. Just an observation. She could not be more correct. She could not be more correct. There's precious little reporting by so-called reporters on Chen Kishi and Fang Bin. I think I've done most of it right here behind this microphone and on Levin TV. And while the left and the media in this country and the Democrats, all one and the same, don't call it the Chinese virus. Don't call it the Wuhan virus. Chen Kuishi and Fang Bin, who are missing, called it the Wuhan virus. Wanted people to know what was going on in Wuhan, China. This is what the left does. It's like Ilhan Omar, where they're vicious Hatred for Jews and her comments. What do the 
media and the Democrat Party, Pelosi in particular, do? A generalized resolution condemning bigotry. This is how they control the narrative. This is how they they push agendas. It's shocking. But it's an excellent point. I'm going to make another point now as we move on and incorporate other issues that are going on out there. The media, from the very beginning, is trying to determine who's president of the United States. Now, they clearly don't want Trump. They didn't want him the first time around, and they don't want him now. That's why you see so much of this going on. But they're now trying to force Bernie Sanders out of the race. And they do it in a very conniving, sniveling, sleazy way. They bring on guests asking whether or not Bernie Sanders has a path, whether or not Bernie Sanders should stay in, and on and on and on. I despise Bernie Sanders. He's a Marxist. He's a bigot. He would destroy this country. He would impoverish so many people. He would set this country back decades. I have no quarter for this man. I know what he is. He's an old red out of Brooklyn. He's lying to the American people every time he opens that big mouth of his. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the unfree press. The unfree press wants Bernie Sanders to step out. They bring in analysts. They bring in partisans. They bring in, quote-unquote, experts. They want Joe Biden now to have a clear path. Several of Joe Biden's surrogates are saying, no debates now with Bernie, no more. End this thing. He can't win. They're not doing that because they're altruistic or earnest. They're not doing that because they think it helps the body politic. Quite the opposite. They're doing it to protect their boy, Joe Biden, who can't stop humiliating himself. He can't stop humiliating himself. They don't want these one-on-one debates. This is one of the reasons that I've suggested and will continue to suggest, and I hope the president's people are listening. That the President of the United States should say, I know there's a Presidential Debate Commission. And I know they come up with three debates. And I know they have to negotiate this side or the other. I'm insisting on a minimum of five debates with Joe Biden, one-on-one, up to seven debates. 60 to 90 minutes each. No sitting at a table in a talk format where we stand, each of us at a podium, facing each other in a formal debate. And I am insisting that some of the moderators be chosen outside the Democrat Party media. Individuals who could be trusted. Individuals who could be trusted to shoot straight. Oh my God, now we, we, it's Pelosi's children we got to listen to, Mr. Producer? Oh my Lord. Does it ever end? It's like the Kennedys. It's like the Bidens. Anyway, that's what I think the president should do with respect to, uh, to Biden. But they're trying to push Sanders out of the race now because they want to smooth the path for Biden. They want to make it as easy for Biden as possible. They want to focus all their fire, the media, 
on Donald Trump and protecting Joe Biden. If you watch MSNBC this morning, and none of you do, if you did, if you're a mental patient or a North Korean general or whatever, and you're watching the morning schmo and Mrs. Schmo, you saw a very pathetic defense of Joe Biden's mental problems by their attack on Donald Trump. Because MSNBC is a big, in-kind contribution to the Democrat Party, much as CNN is a big, in-kind contribution to the Democrat Party. It was pathetic. But then again, it was Joe Scarborough, who has a, uh, a sponge for a brain. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. When Mark Levin was a kid, his teachers didn't like his snide sense of humor. Today, they still don't like it. Call Mark Levin now at 877-381-3811. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin, L-E-V-I-N. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, uh, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience, and they invite them to apply to your job. You can even add screening questions to your job listing, so you can filter candidates and focus on the best ones. ZipRecruiter is so effective, so effective, that four of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter, they get a, uh, how should I put this? They get a quality candidate, a quality candidate, a top candidate within the first day. Now, that's pretty remarkable, wouldn't you say? Is that what your experience is with other entities, with other services? No. And right now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, for free, you, my listeners, can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin, L-E-V-I-N, ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. I'm telling you, if you haven't tried them yet, you really should. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. All right, let's take a few calls. Ravi, San Diego, California. How are you listening to us, Ravi? On what, what method? What mechanism? Actually, uh, listening to you uh, over the internet. So just All right, sir. Very good. Go right ahead. Okay. Uh, so first of all, thanks uh, so much for taking my call. You got it. Uh, so I wrote uh, this article in American Thinker that goes into more detail, um, but 
I, I called uh, for a, a ban on travel last week from South Korea and Italy to stem the spread of coronavirus. Um, since then, since then, I, I would say that any country. Well, let's slow down. Let's let's give an example to show you how it's a little more more complicated than that. A ban on any travel from South Korea or Italy. I mean, similar to what... Hold on, hold on, hold on now. Let's say there's a a person in Italy. Let's say it is a mother of five. And she went to Italy to visit her in-laws or her grandmother. And now she wants to come back. Would you ban her? If she is an American citizen or a resident of America, um, similar to what was done with China, where there might be a... So the point is you wouldn't ban everybody... No, not, you would allow either. American citizens. Would you test them first? Right. Uh, there, yeah, there should be a test, like kind of like what Israel does. They, okay, slow down. And where should they be tested? Uh, they should be tested uh, at a, a local facility that provides testing. And where, should they be tested in Italy or tested in the United States? They should preferably be tested in Italy, but at the very least, there should be. Italy is overwhelmed right now, so they're not going to be tested in Italy. There should be required quarantines when they arrive, and then once they're they're here, there should, there should be. And where should they be quarantined? Well, they, they I'm trying to point out this is a process that's very very complicated. So I, I'm not trying to put down anything you're saying. Or I'm just saying when Ravi says, you know, we ought to have a travel ban on Italy. Okay. Well, <clears throat> there are certain circumstances that are a little bit more complicated, and when you say, yeah, they should be tested, where and by whom. Oh, well, you know, there'll be a facility. Okay, and they should be quarantined. Quarantined where? Do we have places set up on the West Coast for quarantining people? Not really. Right, but so preferably they shouldn't come. But if they come, like what Israel does, they, they quarantine at home, self-quarantine. Because Israel's a tiny country. We're a massive country with tens of millions of people. It's not what Israel does, what Denmark does, what Finland does. That's not what we do. We've got... Two coasts. We got people coming and going. It's a bustling society. It is a huge society with tens of millions of people from all over the world. And it's just not so simple. I'm not saying it shouldn't be done, but it just can't be done because somebody writes about it. No, what I'm saying is, in addition to all the great measures President Trump has taken, which take a while to go through, like banning travel on on, on China, Iran, I don't want to take your time for that from that. But he's done so many great things that have very significantly stemmed the, the, the outbreak. Uh, um, and he, he, there's a lot of credit that's due to him, as opposed to, like, Biden that, that called him a hysterical xenophobe for, for taking the action. But, that, but the reason, and this isn't to be critical, in the least, the reason I'm bringing this up is, and you bring up the president, and you're praising him, and I think you're right. People need to understand that when he put these, these in place early on with respect to China and other parts of the world— it wasn't so easy. It's just not a matter of putting out a travel ban. There's a lot of things you have to take into consideration and deal with. Which, right, but I, which are, go ahead. I, I think that even though Israel is different in significant ways, there are, a lot of things can be replicated. What they do, like okay, Israel's preventing anybody from the United States and other countries from coming in without quarantining, without testing. You think that's what we should do? Anybody who comes into the United States. No, they are quarantining people, but I'm not saying to the same same degree. I'm asking you, you you brought up Israel. You know I love Israel. Do you think we should do that? I I think we should have, Israel does have self-quarantine, required self-quarantine. Okay, got that. I'm not talking about that. 
I'm talking about a decision was made by the Prime Minister. It's in all the press, including the Israeli press. Do you agree with that or not? Uh, Specifically what decision? Well, if you're going to write about these things and you're going to keep bringing up Israel, you better get on top of it, right? No, no, I, I know, I know I, I'm aware, well aware of many decisions that you've made, but I'm just asking which specifically, because uh, quarantining I agree with, the self-quarantining at home for 14 days. The planes leaving Dulles Airport for Israel is an example. They're saying, we don't want you coming now. Okay, I'm not talking about to that extreme. Again, I, I, I think that... Well, you brought up Israel, so I'm bringing up right. Israel. Right. I, no, I, I agree that we should not replicate completely. Just that I'm just saying they should be used as an example. Uh, <clears throat> Here's what I think. We don't have all the facts. We don't have all the information. The president has gathered it. He's got an expert staff around him, despite what the media say. The vice president has done an outstanding job, too. They're gathering the information. They're making the decisions as fast as they can. And while I'm interested in what you think and I think and everybody else thinks, what I really think is... Let's see what he's doing. And he's taking steps that I think are very prudential. And apparently at 9 p.m. tonight, Eastern Time, he's going to take more steps. Thank you for your call, sir. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm trying to explain whether you're writing for or against. It doesn't matter to me. These are not so simple, these issues. Joanne, Little Egg Harbor, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Hello. Hello. Hi, thank you for taking my call, Mark. You got it. I'm a microbiologist. I've worked at the Texas Health Department. I've worked at various hospitals. And I actually worked for a pharmaceutical company that manufactured vaccines. Mm-hmm. And I'm just calling in to try to explain, because I listen to you, and you're very logic-based. And everybody is saying Trump and his team, Pence's team, and the CDC aren't doing enough. What they have to understand is, first, with the testing, you have to find out the ideal way to test for a virus. That takes a while, which is the least intrusive way um, of finding out, you know, how to test for the virus. Once you find out which is the fastest, easiest, least intrusive way of testing for a virus, then you have to learn how to test for it, which takes time. And I've been listening to you and all these people screaming about not enough test kits, not enough test kits, right? But the problem is you can have 5,000 million test kits, but it still has to be read by somebody. Somebody has to read that test. So everybody's screaming at the CDC, but no one's talking about how prepared is the State Department of Health, you know, who, who actually might be reading the test. And, and you know what else, Joanne? Let's think this through a second. Will we ever have enough tests? Pardon me? How will we ever have enough test kits? Everybody's going to want to be tested now. That's the problem. Everybody, because now the demand is high. Uh, People are looking at the potential risk. They're listening to the reports. They're going to want to know in advance, do I have it or not? I got a flu maybe. I've got the sniffles. It could be I've got the fever. I want to know. I want to know. We're never going to have enough tests. Because here's the problem. You can get tested, turn around, and go back into a public situation and become infected. So your point is we need more than one test a person. We may need five tests per person. Well, that's the problem. It doesn't matter how many test kits. And then you're talking about being inundated. How prepared is the health department in your state or the hospital to read those test kits? 
because a lot of them, it's not like it's, you know, remember back in the day when the doctor swabbed your throat or strep, sent it off? Well, imagine, there's somebody on the other end who's doing that test. And some of those tests are complicated, you know, they take hours. But let's, let's follow you one more step. Imagine these labs. I assume they have labs that have to look at it, whether they're on, on the, whether at the hospital or whether they have to send them off for a day or two. They're going to be overwhelmed when people, oh, look, we have all these millions and millions of tests. Now we need, as you point out, millions and millions of reviews and millions and millions of data entries. And the system's overwhelmed. That's why I'm saying there's never going to be enough tests. Everybody. And you make a brilliant point, which is, okay, you're well today, then you feel sick three days from now, you're going to want another test. The problem, the CDC is being blamed, but it's not the CDC. It's how, and it's like, the, you know, they're, they're talking, you know, the governors, how prepared is your health department? Uh. They're like talking about cutting funds for the CDC, which they never did. What about your state health department? How prepared is it to do all the tests? All right. You make a good point. We got it. And thank you for what you're doing. This is a report out of Israel from Monday. Israeli Research Center to announce it developed coronavirus vaccine, sources say. I don't know how accurate this is since it's from the Haaretz news outlets, which, of course, is a left-wing rag. Scientists at the Biological Research Institute in Israel are making significant breakthroughs in understanding the virus, the sources say, but a long process of preclinical and clinical trials is to follow. Same in the United States. This isn't going to be developed in China. This isn't going to be developed in Cuba. It's not going to be developed in Finland, in Denmark, in Switzerland, or Sweden. It's not going to be developed in Venezuela. It's not going to be developed in any of these communist paradises or any of these so-called socialist Scandinavian countries, and they're not even socialist. It'll be developed by us. It'll be developed by the Israelis, the Australians. It'll be developed by a free country, by a country that relies on capitalism. There's the dirty little secret you'll never hear discussed except right here. Except right here. Uh, Let's see here. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. You know, President Trump has exposed a lot of corruption since taking office, but what he's done to expose the corrupt so-called mainstream media and their big tech pals in Silicon Valley has been nothing short of remarkable. You're a fan of this program, and so you've known for years, but there are many out there that are just figuring it out. The corrupt press in this country think you're pretty stupid. They think they can pull the wool over your eyes and convince you of all kinds of nonsense. Like Joe Biden is a moderate, mentally stable, that his son's involvement in Ukraine was totally legitimate. This is why it's so very important that you support Levin TV on Blaze TV. We have an entire team of dedicated producers and researchers whose job it is to bring you the truth. But we can't do it without you. If you haven't subscribed... Please start a free trial today. And what is the address, Mr. Producer? Just checking, Mr. Producer. Where do they go? 
Oh, he'll double check. You go to Blaze TV. Let's do it this way. You go to LevinTV.com. That's LevinTV.com. Or you go to BlazeTV.com slash Levin. BlazeTV.com slash Levin. And subscribe today. You'll get $10 off when you enter promo code Levin at checkout. That's BlazeTV.com slash Levin and subscribe today. Or you can call 844-LEVIN-TV, 844-LEVIN-TV for those of you sitting in traffic. 844-LEVIN-TV or BlazeTV.com slash Levin. We'd love to have you, particularly now, in the middle of all this mess and in the middle of the campaign leading to the general election, leading to the determination of whether we're going to keep our country or not. Now is the time to sign up for Levin TV and all the great hosts. Levin TV, uh, you can call us at 844-LEVIN-TV, 844-LEVIN-TV or blazetv.com slash Levin. Gabriel. El Paso, Texas, on Sirius Satellite. Go. Yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call. But before anything, thank you for everything you do week by week. You're the crest of the wave that's just carrying us all forward. To well, You're very kind. Yeah, thank this you. is something that you don't realize, but your work really motivates a lot of people. And believe it or not, the nut jobs on the other end are on the same wave that they don't realize that you're helping them. We try to help everybody, even the people who are trying to take us under. But going back to the caller you had before, and she was saying that what are they doing for their own people, what they were elected for, all these other guys that are criticizing our president? What are they Mm -hmm. doing? They're not doing nothing. Nothing. And they don't even have good advice. They have no advice. Biggest arm in America pointing a finger right at the nose of the president. And no, you're right. This, to me, this is just, it ain't no different the global warming to the corona. It's a cut and paste type situation. Mm-hmm. You can literally put global warming and corona in the same paragraphs these people are spitting out. It's the same thing. Hysteria, craziness. It's like everyone's caught in tunnel vision right now. Mm-hmm. Just step back. Look at the big picture. Don't get caught in that tunnel vision. Just step back. It's All right, fun. my friend. I really appreciate you very, very much. In Israel, the gentleman brought it up. Israel seals off the country, ordering all Israelis returning from abroad to self-quarantine for 14 days. And by the way, you can be arrested if you don't. And banning all foreign visitors who cannot self-isolate. That's what Israel's doing. And for Israel, that's important. I don't think we can afford that. I don't think we, we can afford that as a country. By the way, I'm looking at uh, Charlie Kirk's numbers at the New York Times list. Charlie Kirk was on Life, Liberty, and Levin. People really loved him and loved that show. Uh, their book sales, number one on almost every list, every list that monitors this, But in the New York Times, they give Charlie number five. Now, he was higher than number five. But they give him number five. That's the Holocaust-denying New York Times. It is a sleazy operation. And that's why when I come out with books, I strongly encourage you to pre-order 
and I try to get as many people to pre-order as many as possible up front because I have to be 10, 20, 30,000 sales ahead if I'm going to be number one, even though I'm legitimately number one when my books come out on the New York Times list. It's a corrupt operation. And every time I say that, they say, hey, but you've been number one over and over and over and over again. Yeah, because I have to sell. Thank God for the Levinites out there. So many more books than the next guy and the guy after me. Excuse me, the guy after that. Or I won't be number one. Anyway, congratulations to Charlie Kirk. We'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. And what? Did the Democrat-controlled House of Representatives do today, ladies and gentlemen? Did they do anything to help the economy? No. Did they do anything to deal with the coronavirus? No. What did they do? They passed an unconstitutional war powers resolution. I don't give a damn what Rand and Mike have to say. An unconstitutional war powers resolution to limit military action against Iran. 227 to 186. Almost every Republican said no. Every Democrat said yes, but one or two. It now heads to the president who is expected to veto it. On the same day they passed this, Iranian-backed forces fired rockets into our base near Baghdad and killed two American soldiers. The same Iranian regime, their forces that they back, fired missiles, fired missiles into our base near Baghdad and killed two United States Marines. The same day the Democrats in the House did what they did. Moreover, the Europeans are going to lift sanctions against Iran. The president and the administration are furious about it, but that's their plan, to lift sanctions against Iran. So between the Democrats and the Europeans, a huge lifeline is being thrown to the murderous, genocidal regime in Iran. I thought you'd want to know that. Bernie Sanders today fooled the media, but they like being fooled by him. About 1 p.m. Eastern time, he was going to have a press conference. The media was very excited that he was going to withdraw from the race so they could try and grease the skids for Joe Biden in the general election. 
But Bernie didn't do that. I told you Bernie's a Trotskyite. I keep telling you Bernie's a Trotskyite. He'll only surrender if he has to. But this is what bothered me in Vermont today. Here's what he said. Cut one, go. Donald Trump is the most dangerous president in the modern history of our country. I don't know what it means, the most dangerous president in the modern history of our country. The most dangerous president in the modern history of our country. How so? How so? I'll tell you how so. For Bernie Sanders, Sanders, he stands between Bernie Sanders and the American people. He stands between Bernie Sanders and his Marxist dreams. So for Bernie Sanders, he is the most dangerous president in modern history to Bernie Sanders. So when Bernie Sanders says that, just that, we should smile. Because if a radical, good-for-nothing, bigoted, racist, Marxist, Bernie Sanders says that, then we must be doing something right here. But he goes on. Go ahead. He must be defeated. Tragically, we have a president today who is a pathological liar and who is running a corrupt administration. Pathological liar. Marxism is the definition of pathological lie. Everything that Bernie Sanders says he's going to do is a lie. But he's going to destroy our country, our society, our government, as he pursues these big lies. Go ahead. He clearly does not understand the Constitution of the United States. Now that's precious. Trump not only understands the Constitution of the United States, he had another big win today in the United States Supreme Court, he and his administration. Being challenged by left-wing Democrats every step of the way. They're refugees, so-called, because they're not actually refugees until they're determined to be refugees. That is, people who want to come into this country based on a refugee status, that they can be processed in Mexico. They don't have to be processed in the United States. The Supreme Court upheld that today. So it seems to me Trump does understand the Constitution. More than Bernie Sanders, who hates the Constitution, who rejects the Constitution, who rejects the framers of the Constitution, who rejects the American founding, much the same way the New York Times does. Go ahead. That he is a president who is above the law. How? He's complied with every court order. Every federal statute, the Constitution of the United States, he's not above the law in the least, and he doesn't pretend to be above the law. So this is the mantra that the liar Bernie Sanders spews at every event that he attends. Go ahead. In my view, he is a racist, a sexist, a homophobe, a xenophobe, and a religious bigot. And he does this at every campaign stop. The the president is a racist? How so? How so? Criminal justice reform? I don't even agree with all of it. But criminal justice reform? Something that particularly black civil rights leaders have been pressing for decades? 
opportunity zones in the inner city, mostly minority communities, tax and regulatory policies that have created the most positive, growth-oriented economic environment that minorities have seen in over half a century, among others. That's a racist, a sexist, unbelievable. He doesn't talk about the leaders of China, Cuba, Venezuela, Hamas, the Palestinian. He doesn't talk about them this way. Never. Here's a president who relies heavily on his daughter. Does that sound like a sexist? Ivanka Trump relies heavily on his wife, Melania. Does that sound like a sexist? Who's had two female press secretaries? I mean, they just throw this out there. Sexist? That would be the Kennedy family. That would be Lyndon Johnson. That would be Bill Clinton. That would be Al Franken, now who they're trying to resurrect. That would be Matt Lauer. That would be Charlie Rose. And then go on and on. Wouldn't Anyway, go ahead. And he must be defeated. Oh, oh, wait a minute. He's a homophobe? How is the president a homophobe? And may I ask, what the hell is a xenophobe? I know, I'm just kidding. He's a religious bigot? He embraces Judaism, he embraces Christianity, and yes, he embraces Islam, he doesn't embrace Islamic terrorism. And yet Bernie, in many respects, does. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Go ahead. And I will do everything in my power to make that happen. So he is a real hardcore pathological liar, a real hardcore Marxist. And he's the man with the big lie. Now let's go to cut two. More Bernie Sanders. Go. The American people understand that we cannot continue a cruel and dysfunctional health care system. And it is a amazing. cruel and un- a dysfunctional health care system. I really wonder what the people in the health care system think about this, the millions and millions of people in the health care system. The doctors, the nurses, the nurse practitioners, the specialists, hospital administrators, the labs that do all the testing, the people who take your blood, all these people and so many more associated with your health care. I wonder what they think when Bernie Sanders, who has done and accomplished not a damn thing in his entire life, except railing against America, railing against American institutions. I wonder what they think about this. I wonder what medical students, who basically surrender their freedom and their free will for a period of many years, this grueling 
education they go through. I wonder what they think when they hear Bernie Sanders talk like this. I wonder what the tens of millions of us who like our health care system just wish the government would get the hell out of it. And think there are reforms, competition, market system that could bring down the price and improve even the quality. But those of us who just went to the doctor and got treatment, just went to the doctor, got a procedure, went to the emergency room where they protected us and helped us. It's a cruel system. And he keeps saying 87 million people don't have health care or have, what does he say, diminished health care. That's a lie. An absolute lie. There's 180 million of us who have private health care. 40% of us? I mean, where does he get these numbers from? And keep in mind, Obamacare was supposed to fix this. We radically changed our health care system, moved almost a trillion dollars out of Medicare into Obamacare. That was supposed to fix everything. But it hasn't. They used to tell us there were 40-some million people who didn't have health care. That was a lie. As I wrote in one of my books, it was actually 9 million. And many of them didn't have health care because they didn't want it, believe it or not. They didn't sign up for it or they weren't eligible for it. They were illegal aliens or what have you. We're going broke with Medicaid. We're going broke with Medicare, like it or not. So what is he talking about? 87 million. If that's true, that is a failure of the New Deal. That is a failure of the Great Society. That is a failure of Obamacare. And trillions and trillions apparently down the big proverbial toilet. We're going broke for nothing. But it's a lie. But there are many of us who are extremely satisfied with the health care we receive with all its imperfections and costs and so forth. You know, the problem is we don't really, again, our media, we don't really have a sense for what the rest of the world deals with. This man can talk about Finland, NBC, ABC, CBS. They don't send their cameras and their best reporters, such as they are, to Finland to find out what's going on in Finland. They just take this idiot for his word. We're the only system that doesn't have health care for all. But ladies and gentlemen, we're the only system that doesn't have rationing, that doesn't have six-month waiting lines for knee and hip replacements, where people leave our country because they need bypass surgery, where they're waiting in line in Canada. Canada's an advanced industrial society, right? But they have government-run, centralized national health care. It's a disaster. You have to compare our system to another system. You have to compare our system to a system more like a system that Bernie Sanders wants. And just because this clown, this old red out of Brooklyn, says the health care system stinks and we need a new health care system, he can't develop a health care system. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. 87 million are uninsured or underinsured. I don't know what that means. I don't know where he gets that number. And what's fascinating, all these debates, they never press him. Where do you get that from? 
What are you talking about? Well, isn't that an illustration of how government health care has failed? Despite everything that we've spent? I'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. You know, folks, some of you are not going to agree with it, maybe most of you. There's a piece in the BBC I've been wanting to get to, and now's as good a time as any. Rare white giraffes killed by poachers in Kenya. Two extremely rare white giraffes have been killed by poachers in northeastern Kenya, conservationists say. Rangers had found the carcasses of the female and her calf in a village in northeastern Kenya's Garissa County. A third white giraffe is still alive. It's thought to be the only remaining one in the world. Their white appearance is due to a rare condition called leucism, which causes skin cells to have no pigmentation. News of the white giraffe spread across the world after they were photographed in 2017. The manager of the conservancy, Mohammed Ahmed Minor, said the two killed giraffes were last spotted more than three months ago. He said, this is a very sad day for the community and Kenya as a whole. We are the only community in the world who are custodians of the white giraffe. Its killing is a blow to the tremendous steps taken by the community to conserve rare and unique species and a wake-up call for continued support to conservation efforts. The poachers have not yet been identified and their motive is still unclear. I believe these poachers should be executed. If you're going to deny mankind, deny mankind, these remaining three of them in the whole world, two are now killed, these remaining species, not through accident, not through negligence, but intent of this sort. We're not talking about bugs and cockroaches and stuff. Then I think if through a due process they're found guilty, then they should be executed. And I think that this should be an example to poachers throughout the world. Poaching is a huge problem. They're wiping out what's left of the rhinoceros. 
elephants, tigers, cheetahs, white giraffes. Now these animals can't even defend themselves. Giraffes can't even defend themselves. And they go into the conservancy and kill them intentionally. I know of nothing else that can deter this kind of brutality. Nothing. And so that's where my head is. A lot of you may not agree. But when I read this, I was repulsed. And that was my first opinion. That that's what should happen. Some 40% of the giraffe population has disappeared in the last 30 years through poaching. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. This is the nation's town hall meeting, and you can join in at 877-381-3811. Now we're going to have some fun in an area that I enjoy a great deal. I'm, I've got a guest on, Nathan Rabb, and he wrote a book, brand new book, The Hunt for History. And what the Rabb family has done through the decades is they hunt down these extremely rare historical documents, documents that are American history documents, international history documents, they are absolutely fascinating. And I should know, I've acquired a few of them. But Nathan Rabb has a beautiful book out right now, brand new, The Hunt for History. Nathan, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. I'm going to call you Nate, because that's normally what I call you anyway. That's my name. That's your name. (laughs) Tell everybody what you do for a living, because you explain it in the book, and it's a fascinating book. What do you do for a living? So my primary job is to hunt the world, to look all over the country, but also internationally, for these pieces of history that are more important than anything else, that tell us something about uh, the world of the past, whether it's a letter of George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or Franklin Roosevelt or, or John Kennedy or Ronald Reagan. And that's what we're hunting for. Now, do people come to you and say, hey, look, I have this fascinating document or I inherited it and I want, I want to sell it? Yeah, that's generally what happens is somebody has, whether they're the recipient. I mean, you can imagine a scenario in which you're the recipient of a letter from John Kennedy or, or 
Well, Franklin Roosevelt might be a stretch, but uh, where you inherited a, a letter that maybe Franklin Roosevelt sent your ancestor, and you're looking to sell that. And so, you know, every day we get quoted things, maybe 20, 30 things, and our challenge is filtering out the pieces that are valuable from the pieces that are not. And, of course, there are some forgeries in there, something that there occasionally there's something that's not authentic. But let me give an example, one of mine. I don't want to get into the pricing and everything. Right. But the last document I acquired, tell everybody what that is regarding the Supreme Court. You don't remember. Of course I remember. All right. (laughs) You do so many, but this was a big one. This was a particularly special document. I mean, I, I, I don't know what level of detail you want me to get into, but... Um, Just basic information. What is this document that I acquired? So, the basis of our country is this balance between three branches of government. The legislative, executive, and... Um, um, judicial. Judicial, thank you. And the document. You don't have to be nervous. You're you're good. Go go. For oh, it. I'm not feeling nervous. I'm not right. feeling nervous. Um, this document speaks to that. It's the appointment of one of the first Sup- Supreme Court justices, signed by not only George Washington, but the first Chief Justice John Jay. Hmm. And it speaks to the founding of our form of government. I mean, it's, it's, you know, within days of the convening of the, the first uh, Supreme Court um, meeting. So, so William Cushing was on the Massachusetts Supreme Court, and he right. was one of the first associate justices of the Supreme Court. And this document, I think it's the only one in private hands is George Washington's nomination of Cushing. Cushing is quickly approved. And on the other side, the Chief Justice is signing the swearing-in of Cushing. Well, you're dealing with the, 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 the president and the head of the judiciary, the, the first Chief Justice, signing the same document, convening the first Supreme Court meeting, dealing with one of the first... Uh, Supreme Court appointments. I mean, it's a remarkable piece of history from the beginning of our country. It's, it's amazing. I mean, the fact that that survived is incredible. And <clears throat> you come across a lot of documents like this, and I've acquired other documents, but a lot of other people have too. And uh, for instance, right now you have a, or you did, have a significant uh, inventory of letters that Ronald Reagan wrote, correct? Yeah, Reagan was an amazing letter writer. I mean, his letters are so evocative and, and, and so emotional. Uh, I feel like I know Ronald Reagan very well just through his correspondence. I never met him personally, but his letters are just so to the point. I mean, I, I love reading his letters. What is the most, the rarest, most prominent, or do it this way, the most expensive document that you and your father and your family have ever acquired? So we've handled seven-figure archives uh, before in the millions. Um, I would say that the you know typically we're dealing in, with things in the thousands or tens of thousands of, of dollars, but you know those that that can go up much higher. Was it a Lincoln document, a Washington document, what kind of document? 
It was Jefferson. Jefferson? Yeah. Do you remember what it was? It was a series of correspondence of Jefferson to uh, a political ally during the War of 1812. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jefferson also wrote really (laughs) remarkable letters. I mean, when you go back to this era, these guys, they, they weren't just politicians. I mean, they were... They were scholars. They were they were uh, classical scholars. So they had deep understanding of like, you know, uh, Greek politics, Roman politics. I mean, they saw themselves as the heir to these ancient civilizations, um, and the letters reflect that. I mean, it's it, it's remarkable reading them. They were clearly very intelligent, and the letters show that. Do you have individuals who contact you and ask you to look for things? Uh, yes, yes. The reality is that if somebody contacts us and asks us, asks us to look for something, that is a challenge because we live in a world where we don't know what's going to... I mean, so we get contacted by 20 to 30 people every single day. Mm. Um, it's going to be many more than that now, you watch, unfortunately for you. <laughs> but anyway, so. go ahead. I hope yes. people will contact us. Yes, trust um, me. And I never know what's gonna, what the day is going to be. Didn't so, I contact you recently and ask you to try and find something for me? Yes, and I and I looked into that. And the reality is that it's hard to do that. Yeah. Should we, we tell everybody what it where, is? Where it's it's very opportunistic. Yeah. Whatever comes our way comes our way. Um, and but at so, least you'll be on the lookout for it. Correct. And so what that does is it allows me to say, oh, okay, well, this person is looking for this thing, but that that could happen tomorrow, and it could happen ten years from now. Like I I don't know that. Mm-hmm. And what it is is a baseball card of the first really great baseball player is a Jewish baseball player, right? Yes, that was really cool. And it's going to be tough to find, isn't it? I will find that for you. I really want that. I will make it my job to find that for you. I can't find that damn thing anyway. Now, by the way, <laughs> you were never really going to get into this business of hunting for history, these documents. You started out as what? Uh, I was really into public relations mm-hmm. when I first started out, like press stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in you know, so my dad used to take me to like like as a kid we'd go to historical sites. Like my dad would take me to like Gettysburg. He'd ask me to hunt for uh, a bullet that was fired by you know some Union soldier, and then I found the bullet. And then later he told me that he planted that bullet so that I could find it. Um, I, I wrote to Colin Powell. Uh, I wrote to Francis Crick, who's a geneticist, and asked him about um, cloning dinosaurs. This was during the Jurassic Park um, book and movie craze. Um, so I kind of grew up with it. It was in my bloodstream. Uh, mm-hmm. But it wasn't something that I thought that I would do as a profession. So, yes, it was kind of unexpected. Mm-hmm. Well, listen... Anybody can check out. You have a website. What is that website? Rabcollection.com. And Rab is R-A-A-B, B as in boy, collection.com. All right. We wish you the best. The book is excellent, too, The Hunt for History. Nathan Rab. I hope you folks will check it out. It's right there on Amazon.com. Nate, thanks a lot, buddy. Thank you, Mark. All right. Take care. It is a fascinating book on how they've hunted down documents over the years. It reads very, very well. Einstein, Churchill... Lincoln, anyone you get to Washington, Reagan, of course, and on and on and on. And it's not just Americans. 
Napoleon, well, I said Churchill, but also Thatcher and a number of others. It's really worth reading. The Hunt for History by Nathan Robb, America's preeminent dealer in rare documents. No, I don't get anything out of this except pleasure. Pleasure. This is a pleasure of mine, and I think it'll be a pleasure of yours, not to necessarily buy that, but to read about it. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Now, people who listen to this program on KSFO in and around the San Francisco area right now, where we run live, it's an O&O, an owned and operated station by the company that syndicates me, Cumulus Westwood One. And so the local program directors there have decided to run California State Basketball because they're trying to pick up a few bucks. But when they do that, when they do that, they preempt this show. And they're not supposed to do that. This is exactly why I give out my podcast information. So when one of these stations that's not supposed to preempt my show, particularly those that are owned by my syndicator, when they do it in violation of company policy, you can listen to the show by podcast. Because nobody's going to listen to that basketball game, I can assure you. So here's what I want to, you, to remind you, and I'd like you to write this down, should this ever happen to you, but particularly in the San Francisco area with KSFO. Go to marklevinshow.com, marklevinshow.com. You can click on the Audio Rewind. It's the middle of the top homepage. There's a button, Audio Rewind. Click that, that button. That'll take you to the podcast page. And then you pick the podcast that you want. So it's really three clicks. You can pick Stitcher, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast. So write it down or go ahead and do it. And have it just in case there's a bonehead move like this in your community. MarkLevinShow.com. Here we are in the middle of an election, Mr. Producer. But these guys can't control themselves out there. MarkLevinShow.com. Click on Audio Rewind, middle of the top of the homepage. That'll take you to the podcast page, and then you can choose the podcast platform you want. Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher Podcast. I'm convinced this is one of the reasons our podcast numbers are going through the roof. Through the roof. Over 5 million a month. 
despite being on almost 400 radio stations and all the big radio stations. But you understand, if radio stations just keep doing this, run local high school basketball, college basketball, in our time frame and so forth, they destroy the syndication. So there's no point of being on radio. Now, we have magnificent affiliates out there that follow their contracts, that want to run the show. They know how hard we work. They know we're in the middle of an election. They know you're listening. They know we get ratings and on and on and on. But then we have boneheads. And I can't police all this. I'm just a host. So when that happens in your community with your radio station, you can be your own program director and listen to the podcast. Because I've had enough of this crap, to be perfectly honest with you. These guys at KSFO know better than this. And my audience tells me, how do you think I know? You think I'm listening to the San Francisco station? No, I'm on the air. I have dozens of complaints. Dozens. It's, it's just, it's appalling. I'm being syndicated. I'm supposed to be on that station. That's the deal. You know, it's shocking, and I'm sorry you have to hear all this, but you might as well know about it, because you can get around it through the podcast. The president will speak in six or seven minutes, 9 p.m. Eastern time, about the coronavirus, among other things, and I can predict this, I'm not even in the prediction business, he will be attacked by the never-Trumpers, by the same websites, by the uh, half-wits and, and dimwits on cable TV. He will be attacked by the New York Times and the Washington Post. He will be attacked. That's what will happen. No matter what he says and what he does. And he may invoke a national emergency, which gives him certain powers, including the ability to spend, as I understand it, under four, up to $40 billion on uh, various uh, activities related to the national emergency. Regardless of what he does, he will be attacked. But I have confidence in this president. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that most of you do. And he will make a decision based on prudence, based on good judgment. He's not out to transform America. He's not out to be Franklin Roosevelt and nationalize private companies or nationalize their decision making. He's trying to deal with this, uh, this virus. And he's done a hell of a lot more than any of his critics. A hell of a lot more than any of his critics, including those in Congress, and especially those in the media. So we'll listen to what he has to say shortly. All right, we will be back tomorrow. I want to remind you folks on Levin TV, many of you have your subscriptions coming up. I want to encourage you to renew. We have wonderful programming. We have something new to announce in a week or two as well. And we want as many people to be with us as possible so we can continue to be an alternative platform, particularly during this election period, where alternative platforms to the unfree press are necessary. Thank you very much for listening. We salute our forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, all those who protect us, all those who are working to deal with this coronavirus. Local, state, federal, private sector, government. God bless each and every one of you. See you soon. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.